electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, the tech sell-off does rear its head after the Nasdaq fell and then recovered more than 4% yesterday. Market is declining once again. Meantime, Microsoft and Apple kicking off mega cap earnings this week, both ticking down this morning as Microsoft is set to report after the bell. Later this morning, Octa CEO Todd McKinnon is going to join us, talk about the state of software names amid the sell-off. The nearly $30 billion company, one of the biggest laggards on the Nasdaq today, John. Yeah, and first let's start with buying tech, perhaps finding value in the midst of this sell-off. Yesterday, clearly some investors bought the dip. We saw that huge intraday reversal. The Nasdaq closed the day in the green after being down nearly 5% at one point. Now we're down a bit again today. Analysts trying to pick the winners. Two ideas today for very different reasons. Loop Capital upgrades Snowflake, and there are two bullish notes on Coinbase. But let's start with Snowflake and the debate over whether a stock like that is cheap or expensive right now. Mike Santilli, I don't know if it's cheap by any measure, but what's your take? Yeah, John, I mean, the debate is around whether down a lot equates to cheap and whether cheap is related to a stock's own history uh, or, in fact, outright absolute value. That's a big question. Now, if you take a look at Snowflake and the broader cloud ETF since Snowflake's ETF, yes, it is down from the peak quite a fair bit, uh, but not as much as some stocks, though. I mean, it's only down 35 percent Snowflake. Uh, Palantir is actually down more like 70 percent uh, from its peak. And if you want to talk about valuations, OK, sure. Price to sales ratio for Snowflake peaked above 100 shortly after the IPO. It's down to 40. So Loop Capital today saying they believe fairly valued would be something on the order of 20 or a buy rating right now on something on the order of 25 times effectively calendar year 2023 revenue. Uh, I actually went back and tried to see if Microsoft, if Salesforce, if Adobe, any of these marquee kind of bellwether software names ever traded for 40 times sales. And it does not seem to be the case. I mean, back in 1989, Microsoft had $800 million in revenue. Uh, you know, Snowflake's going to have a little more than that this year, but it was a few billion dollars in market value. So it's just a high hurdle, even if things go perfectly as planned, even if Snowflake, because of its business model, can grow multiples faster than those companies. Also, interesting little bit of synchronicity. Microsoft, Adobe, and Salesforce, each of them, since their respective IPOs, annualized appreciation in their shares is 25 percent, almost exactly the same since the IPO with tremendous amounts of uh, kind of booms and busts along the way. But it is interesting that top quality software, that's what it's given you over the longer term. Uh, yeah, a lot of new screens being drawn today on software in particular. And we'll pay more attention to that loop call later on, Mike. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, for more on the volatility that we're seeing in tech and some possible opportunities that it may present, we're joined this morning by Plexo Capital's Low Tony. Low, great to see you again. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. So people are trying to establish new lines on uh, on this valuation reset. Others argue, look, nothing's really going to matter until we know whether or not uh, the Fed comes to some kind of realization about the damage done to these names through the path of higher rates. Uh, is this an area where you can start to get selective or not? Well, I do think that given that we've seen just such a massive sell-off and just the tumultuous environment right now that we're in in the markets, I, I would advise a little bit of caution. I think we're excited to understand the true direction for the Fed. The one thing that we do know is that the, the you know, this administration has not been as focused on the stock market as the prior administration. Now, we have continuity with the Fed chairman. However, given what we've seen in the first few weeks, um, the, the early indications are that the Fed will move 
to have some rate increases. I think that will give some clarity. You know, however, you know, look, this is what we're seeing right now. This is the context for the market. Within the area of tech, we have a couple of different types of investors. We have the multi-sector investors who are moving out of tech because with a rising interest rate environment, they typically move over to other sectors that benefit from rising interest rates, right? Those would be sure. financials, insurance. And then on the folks that do focus on tech, they're moving into some of the more bellwether big tech names. And that's because what we see is that high interest rate environments really punish the, the growth stocks, the tech stocks in particular, that are the main drivers of growth. And in particular, you know, we have a lot of these companies that are out there that have gone public recently that have really been trading off of their revenue growth as opposed to profitability. Now, if we take a look back, and we even saw this starting back in last year in 21, really the market started to shift more to benefiting and rewarding those that actually had the free cash flow, right? The actual profitability, the margins. And those are the larger tech names. And we see that reflected in how those names like Microsoft, like Salesforce, like Alphabet, Google, have been punished, but not punished as much as some of the newer entrants to the public markets, which are thinly, thinly margined, right? They have thin margins, or they some of them might not even be profitable. So, you know, I think that's, that's what we're seeing. When we think about how these investors value these growth stocks, they're basically looking out into the future and discounting back. And so when a rising interest rate environment happens, there's a higher cost of capital, therefore compressing some of those, those margins that they're valued on. Sure. I, I want to read you Webbush this morning. Uh, they write that the underlying growth drivers of the tech space, which, of course, we've talked about for a long time, are remain unmatched to anything we've seen since the mid-1990s, and they're not being priced into stocks. So what is on the line tonight, uh, say, with regard to Microsoft, in that they could come out and say, look, things look a little bit soft on the margin, or they could say things continue to be on a tear? I mean, how much of that is going to drive sentiment in the days to come? Yeah, what an amazing story. Look, Microsoft is one of these unbelievable companies that has been able to maintain an impressive growth rate. You know, a lot of that has come through the cloud. You know, what we're expecting is that we'll still continue to see, you know, double digit growth, mainly driven by their cloud business. Um, I guess one of the questions that we have with Microsoft in particular with regard to their cloud business is when we think about the big drivers of the pandemic and particularly this move towards remote and distributed workforces, you know, that benefited Microsoft's business as well as a lot of other companies' businesses. But in particular for Microsoft, how much of that demand was actually pulled forward from 22 and 23 into 21. And, you know, we'll need to get a better understanding of that. And I think also, you know, another question that a lot of investors are going to have for Microsoft is, you know, with this, with this acquisition of Activision and Blizzard, you know, what is their strategy moving forward around consumer as well? Right. Right. Low, I think there can be a tendency to, um, to get sort of overexcited both one way and then the other when it comes to how companies get valued. I understand we're hearing a lot of hedge fund folks come on and say things like, hey, only companies with this amount of cash flow and uh, that, that have profits. But if there's a company that has the right vision and the right technology and the right amount of revenue growth and they're investing aggressively in that growth, doesn't that make sense for a longer-term investor, especially if the prices come down? It does. And I think, again, we have to separate these from the, the companies that have the ability to have a more efficient use of their capital when they're spending towards that long-term growth and for profitability. You know, that's what we see with the bigger tech companies like the Microsoft and the Google. They have the luxury of having the cash on their balance sheet, as well as these very stable businesses that do continue to drive growth, which give them the free cash flow and their ability to be able to invest that very efficiently will benefit them long term. So we remain bullish on those large tech company names. In the short term, for some of these newer entrants, you know, we've had almost 70 companies in the software space that went public in this past year. For those companies, they're newer. They don't have the same margins. Some of them haven't even achieved profitability yet. And we just don't see the same efficiency within their ability to be able to generate that growth. 
and sent so much of their valuation by both the institutional investors in particular to a degree the retail is driven off of their ability to be able to have that future growth you know that's what's really hurting them right now is investors are looking at this macro environment and saying number one are we going to continue to see growth within the economy and number two with higher interest rates you know that's going to put pressure on their ability to have these high prices given that there is a higher cost of capital mm -hmm. to be able to pay for that growth. Hey, Lo, it's Deirdre. I want to ask you, of all the mega hey, caps, uh, Amazon is the least profitable. It has always preferred to invest most of its cash back into the business. It is already, in terms of its share price, underperforming the other mega cap names. So I wonder if you think that investors are going to be looking for more profit, more fiscal discipline from the company? And could Andy Jassy bend to that in a way that Bezos may not have, because he only took over the reins as CEO last year, and the stock price has underperformed? What could that mean for the long-term story? Yeah, we are also bullish on Amazon, and that's correct. I mean, look, Amazon has, you know, been punished a little bit more within that big tech name. And I think partially to a degree, it's because of, you know, Number one, are we going to continue to see the consumer staying at home and buying products, right? Increasing interest rates kind of making consumers pull back on spending, the opening up of the economy. Maybe consumers start to take that money that they would spend on goods as they have been doing since the pandemic. Maybe that shifts back towards historically they spend it on services. That's put some pressure on Amazon. However, that said, I mean, look, again, Amazon has also been a beneficiary of this move towards the distributed workforce, the increasing use of cloud for these tech companies. And when we look at their core cloud business, you know, Amazon still is performing extraordinarily well. So, you know, I think this combination of all these other businesses that are a little bit more dependent on the consumer, that's been a little bit of a drag on Amazon. But the fundamentals of their enterprise-focused cloud business, I mean, are just as impressive as some of the other names. Uh, that's a name that we look forward to seeing uh, the print as well uh, with the Dow now down 450 low. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for the help today. See you soon. Thanks. Let's Take care. Try. Check out shares of IBM posting Q4 results last night, beating street estimates with $16.7 billion in revenue. That's up 6.5% year over year. CEO Arvind Krishna attributing the increase to hybrid cloud adoption, boosting growth in software and consulting, reporting operating EPS of $3.35 on the quarter as well, nearly beating the consensus as well. Big Blue also offering some guidance for the year ahead on its earnings call last night, forecasting mid-single-digit revenue growth, free cash flow between 10 and 10 and a half billion dollars. Shares are getting a boost this morning on those numbers. They're up 2%. But John, that is, you know, down from the more than 5% it was up initially on those results. And yes, they gave guidance, but the earnings call was kind of hard to listen to. Analysts kept asking for more from IBM. They wanted an EPS guidance. They haven't really provided that since before the pandemic. And IBM was sort of doing this thing that they like to do, saying, look at this, and we're going to kind of withhold some of this other stuff from you that analysts really latched onto. They wanted to know where they got that free cash flow number. They wanted EPS. They wanted to know about the broader trajectory. But this is a company, of course, that is going through a major transition, spinning off Kindrel. Yeah, I mean, you can find a cloud in every silver lining. I, I think it's interesting off of the conversation we were just having with Low Tony about what investors might be turning their attention to. I mean, IBM is certainly profitable. You just talked about the cash flow there uh, above 10 billion projected. It's got what, like a 5% dividend mm -hmm. yield. So I think investors are gonna ask, what's the downside risk here? And there is some, but versus the possibility that Arvind Krishna turns this around with his technology background, focus on hybrid cloud, willing to make some bigger moves. Um, you know, I, I was saying yesterday that I think uh, that the earnings will be interesting in that one, how the reaction mm -hmm. is to them based on where investor appetites might be going. Uh, maybe it's a little inconclusive, yeah. but still, after, after earnings up almost 2%, not bad. Yeah, I think, you know, Arvind Krishna is doing it a little differently than his predecessors. We know that IBM for the last decade or so has been a value trap. The stock has sort of traded within this range um, versus some of the other bigger players in cloud, John. Uh, you know, it, the execution, though, which has been a challenge for the past three IBM CEOs, is now on Krishna's shoulders. I know that you talk to him often, um, and he's got a path. So we'll see if he can deliver on that. But I think that in the analyst community, there is some skepticism, especially 
especially in understanding the numbers that they put forward yesterday as they spin off that legacy business? Well, and well, there should be. I mean, over the years, the past decade plus, there's been a lot of financial engineering going on and mm -hmm. how uh, IBM has structured and sort of restructured things and what they report and what they focus on. Really, that mid-single-digit revenue growth and what happens to profitability, uh, if they deliver that, is going to go a long way toward answers. Now, checking in on NVIDIA, the chipmaker down more than, uh, let's see, is it 4%? Yeah, just a hair over 4% this morning. Following reports, the company has told partners it does not expect its $40 billion acquisition of ARM to close. We'll see. Uh, meanwhile, ARM owner SoftBank reportedly preparing to take ARM public again. Both companies still pleading their case to regulators. They uh, told Bloomberg apparently no final decisions had been made, Carl. Uh, meantime, John, uh, coming up this morning at Goldman Sachs, uh, Internet uh, analyst names his top picks amid the market turmoil. And as we said earlier, Octa CEO Todd McKinnon joins us to talk about the state of software valuations. And the journal's uh, Gunjan Banerjee breaks down how options trading has played into all this volatility. Record number of contracts yesterday. A big hour of tech check is just getting started. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. The Commerce Department, as expected, releasing this report on semi-shortages. Kayla Tao, she's got details, including some on these uh, days' inventory of key chips. Kayla. Yeah, Carl, the agency has been studying this issue for several months, uh, put out a request for information in this fall, and 150 companies or thereabouts responded uh, with information giving the Commerce Department a line of sight into just how acute these shortages are. Average inventory for the industry down to less than five days. That is down from about 40 days just two years ago. The Commerce Department also seeing uh, the primary bottleneck as wafer production capacity and seeing especially acute shortages and potential price gouging in chips for cars and medical devices. The companies who responded to the Commerce Department's request do not see improvements in the supply chain before mid-2022. But even so, uh, the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, telling reporters just a few moments ago that there are not plans at this time to invoke the Defense Production Act to force the participation or provision of information from companies uh, who did not submit it or to force business changes. Uh, to alleviate some of these bottlenecks. The secretary acknowledging that there is very little the government can do in the near term to actually alleviate this, again calling for the passage of incentives for manufacturing to be brought back to the U.S. and for new production to come online. Uh, we will see if Congress goes forward with that, but certainly some pretty dire statistics released this morning by the Commerce Department. Back to you. All right, Kayla, thank you. And now we saw it with Netflix. This could be a pivotal quarter for many tech stocks as they report earnings. Microsoft tonight, Apple Thursday. Both mega caps have seen big outperformance. Uh, Julia Borston is here with more on that. Hey, Julia. Yeah, that's right, John. Microsoft and Apple have both far outperformed the broader tech sector. Now, looking back over the past year, Microsoft is up about 25% in the past 12 months. Apple up 11%. But they are both down double digits from their 52-week highs. And with momentum expected to continue, Microsoft with its cloud business and Apple with its iPhone upgrade cycles, analysts do see buying opportunities going into their earnings. Now, with big tech 
Tech's pullback this year, Apple and Microsoft's trailing PEs are down. Apple now 28, Microsoft's is now 32, both less than the Nasdaq 100's ratio of over 35. So going into earnings, 93% of Microsoft analysts have a buy rating, 7% have a hold, while for Apple, 77% of analysts have a buy, 18% have a hold, and 5% have a sell. Now this afternoon, Microsoft will be closely watched as a key indicator for the rest of the tech sector. Analysts expect 18% revenue growth and a 14% increase in earnings per share as demands for Microsoft's Azure cloud business is expected to continue to grow, uh, continue at that momentum we saw last quarter. Now, in addition to the growth of Azure, Teams could be another tailwind for Microsoft. On the downside, analysts are watching for the impact of foreign exchange rates and also some tough comparisons. Now, Goldman, with a buy rating on the stock, writing that they believe that investors will focus on the sustainability of Microsoft's cloud growth on accelerating demand for digital transformation. Guys? Uh, Julia, it's interesting. You mentioned those trailing PEs. I think you said 28 and 32. I mean, those might be lower than the NASDAQ 100, but by historical standards, those are huge, especially for companies of the size and supposed maturity, at least in some ways, of these two. I am going to be watching how uh, the market investors respond. Even if Microsoft hits the, the kind of published expectations um, how good do those Azure numbers year over year have to be to move the needle to the upside? Yeah, I mean, how good do those Azure numbers have to be? They have to show that sustaining growth. And also, what will we hear about other potential growth drivers? How much can teams continue to grow? I mean, it was a year ago that we heard from Microsoft about how massive their security business is. That's another uh, one that could continue to grow. And then, John, we haven't even talked about the Activision Blizzard deal and games. I haven't said the word metaverse once yet, <laughs> but we do expect to hear a little bit more about that. And also just getting that deal approved. You know, they laid out a, a, a timeline, maybe 18 months, a $3 billion uh, fee if it doesn't happen. So the question is sort of what kind of insight do we get there from how Satya Nadella views the future of gaming and sort of perhaps the intersection of the workplace with teams and some of these virtual worlds and uh, more immersive technologies. Julia, thank you. Uh, you had to get it in there, of course. It's inevitable. The only question is how many times we're going to hear it on the call tonight. As we look ahead to more tech earnings, our next guest is maintaining his buy rating on Alphabet and Meta, but cutting price targets on Snap, Pinterest, and Twitter as a result of lower revenue and earnings estimates. Joining us now, Goldman Sachs Managing Director Eric Sheridan. Eric, good morning to you. Let's tackle the high growth complex first, since we just got a preview of Microsoft and some of the other mega caps from Julia. What does this group need to show to perhaps attract investor interest once again, show that their fundamentals are intact? And what do you think happens to them if they're able to do so? Are they attractive entry points for investors or could they be M&A targets for other companies? Yeah, I think in the in the high revenue multiple, I'm not ready to be out there talking about M&A just yet. Typically in down cycles of a market, even if it's a correction, you send not to see a, a ton of M&A uh, on, on lows. So I, I'd be loath to sort of sort of call out an edge on that. I think generally we've been telling folks since the fall to stay away from some of the higher revenue multiple type stocks, especially elements of pandemic, uh, post-pandemic normalization. So for example, you know, we weren't uh, bullish on Netflix going to last week because we think there's still an element of management teams that benefited from the pandemic still struggling to understand what dem demand normalization looks like. So we would point you towards names that are large, liquid, where we feel we have a little bit better edge on the fundamentals like digital advertising going into Q4, where there's been a fairly strong commerce backdrop. You have a cyclical recovery going on in elements of end demand around travel, media, and local. And as just highlighted in one of the segments before this one, an auto recovery as you get supply right-sized as you move into 22. Those are all backdrops for digital advertising that we like, uh, where sentiment is quite negative uh, across the digital advertising landscape right now. And to the point on multiples versus the NASDAQ, you know, Alphabet and Meta both trading well below uh, the, the type of multiples we just talked about in the lead-in. 
Yeah, Eric, we're in a period now where a lot of the sell side uh, points out valuations may still be elevated. There may be longer terms, structural challenges, especially in digital advertising, but that there still may be tactical upside in the wake of these earnings reports. Are there a few of your names that to which that might apply? I would say the four we've honed people on, again, trying to play defense, stay large, stay liquid in terms of cap, would be Amazon, Uber, uh, on elements Uber of a reopening dynamic. They have an analyst day coming up on February 10th. Amazon, which has underperformed, by the way, since July of 2020. It's been quite pronounced underperformance for Amazon since the, the initial uh, pandemic peak in the stock uh, in the first couple of months of the pandemic, and then come back to those digital advertising names, which are, which are trading uh, well below the NASDAQ PE multiple. We've got a lot of free cash flow. You have authorized announced buybacks from these companies. You have relatively steady growth in the high teens, low 20s to underwrite at, at much closer to a market multiple or lower, let alone a NASDAQ multiple. That's where we would point investors to, to, to do the work. Eric, Amazon and Uber, these are interesting calls, as we noted in the previous segment. Amazon, the least profitable of the mega cap, and Uber still deeply unprofitable on a net income basis. You don't think that those business models are going to get hit in a rising rate environment? So... Amazon's taking a hit right now in this environment, but interestingly, over the digestion of underperformance we've seen in Amazon over the last almost two years, uh, most of my investor conversations have pivoted towards valuing Amazon on a multiple of operating profit and not and, and multiple of revenue. It is dramatically, um, given the scale of its business, absorbed a lot of valuation compression in the last 12, 18 months. So we're having a very different conversation with investors about Amazon today than we did 18, 24 months ago. That stands in contrast. It's a very fair point on Uber, but we do think as we look at the model and the profitability and all the costs they've pulled out of the business through the pandemic, this analyst day on February 10th, we think Uber management team uh, can lay out a path to profitability and a long-term profitive narrative that's very different than what's in street numbers over the next six months. And that's the catalyst unlock we're looking for on Uber is that longer-term profit narrative which can get people more comfortable because you're actually paying a relatively low revenue multiple for Uber today uh, compared to a high flyer revenue multiple. It's just this pathway to profitability that we think investors want to see over the next three to five years. Eric, what are you hearing, seeing about, you know, strategies for deploying capital versus not in this environment? I mean, it's one thing to say buy this, but there's the buy where you put all your chips on the table and then there's the buy where you just put a few on the table because it's unclear uh, what the overall environment is going to do. What are you hearing? Yeah, great, great question. I think people are going slow. No one is trying to, to, to make an all-in bet here on this market. I would tell you we have two types of conversations, buying large liquid and quality, um, and we notice a lot of people willing to do the work on the type of names that we've been talking about in this segment, but not going very far afield of that into either uh, demand normalization or high revenue multiple. There are not a lot of conversations I'm having with investors of people willing to go uh, too far stretch. There's another conversation where, frankly, I can't add a lot of value for investors, which is, you know, does the Fed get this right? And do we have a soft landing or do we tip into a recession? That's well above the type of fundamental work I do on the internet sector. But those are the two types of conversations. Go slow, play defense, uh, raise the quality in your portfolio. And I think some of the large tech names that trade at more, you know, growth at a reasonable price multiples uh, screen well for that versus a broader conversation about the macro environment, which is which is beyond my, mm -hmm. my purview. <laughs> Growth at a reasonable price. You hear that more and more these days. Eric, thank you very much. Eric Sheridan of Goldman Sachs. Meantime, NASDAQ is back down, uh, closing uh, the lows of the day down two and a half uh, percent. At this point, uh, you see uh, just above 13.5. More tech check is after this quick break. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's reset here this morning. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. We'll take a look at how options trading might be fueling today's sell-off. Certainly was a factor in yesterday's action. But first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. American Express actually surging despite the broader market sell-off. It's leading the S&P with a 7% gain. Rising credit card spending drove strong fourth quarter results, and that's despite lagging travel spending, especially by businesses. General Electric getting slammed on weak revenues hurt by supply chain problems. Earning guidance for this year is also well below estimates. GE shares now down 7 percent. It's the worst performer in the S&P 500 today. Consumer confidence slipped in January, but remains at high levels and came in stronger than expected at 113.8. More consumers say that they plan to buy big ticket items like cars and homes despite surging inflation. And growth in home prices slowed slightly in November, but they are still up nearly 19 percent over the last year. Kay Schiller says that Phoenix has the biggest price gains for the 30th straight month. Prices there are up more than 32 percent on an annual basis. I cannot even imagine. Carl, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. How much tech volatility is tied to options trading? Some new data from the SIBO shows that options volume did jump to a record last week. Joining us this morning, CNBC contributor Gunjan Banerjee of The Wall Street Journal has been writing about this and the relationship between options, the meme names, and certainly the Wall Street bets Reddit crowd, Gunjan. In that piece yesterday, I think the headline was the thrill is gone. That seems to sum up a lot of sentiment. That certainly seems to be the case among many individual investors that my colleague and I spoke to. And they said, hey, Wall Street Bets used to be the cool place to be. I could find these great diamonds in the rough like GameStop and AMC. But now they're saying now these people are still talking about GameStop and AMC. A year later, these are some of the most talked about tickers on the forum. And they're like, we want to be hunting for the next big thing. What's the next GameStop? What's the next AMC? They're saying we can't find that on Reddit's Wall Street Bets anymore. Walk me through the uh, how, why you think options are interesting here, and are there calendar effects where we need to start paying closer attention to, um, to, to expirations, for example? So I think everyone's trying to figure out what led to this giant intraday reversal in markets yesterday. What's leading to this insane volatility that we've seen, that we've been seeing? And you know, the broader picture is, of course, uncertainty around the Fed and and all these other macro things um, on the table right now. But some traders I was talking to yesterday were saying that options activity might have been playing a role in that giant intraday reversal and potentially exacerbating some of the volatility that we've seen in markets. Options activity hit a record on Friday, put options volume in particular hit a high. And they're saying that maybe hedging activity by professional traders is exacerbating some of those moves as a secondary factor. Uh, just Gunjan, to look at the situation for retail investors, I want to go back to uh, your story about Reddit and Wall Street bets, but just Reddit writ large. I'm wondering, are you aware of any sort of star amateur analysts to come out of the Reddit revolution? Because that was sort of my internal gauge a year ago on the value of this overall. Would there be people who build reputations on writing about, you know, having research consistently, not just about one or two stocks, but about sectors overall, you know, ways of looking at the market. Would they draw a following? Is that happening as a way of arming retail investors with information from what you've seen? So I think it did happen with Keith Gill, right? As we saw with the GameStop phenomenon last year, and he was, you know, one of these power users. He hasn't posted in quite a bit. But my sense is that certain people have tried to build followings. A lot of people I've been speaking to, when they're on Reddit, they want to remain anonymous. You know, some people I've spoken to, they don't want to share their names with the Wall Street Journal or with the world because 
they love you know this intimate online community that they have where they can be totally anonymous and say whatever they want. I've spoken to people who've said, hey, there are career repercussions for me if I put my name on this and give my name out to the world. So I think that's kind of a factor to consider when we think about analysts building um, followings for themselves off of Reddit. Hey, Gunjan, as we watch the Nasdaq uh, near session lows, uh, what do you think that the newer retail investors are going to be taking away from this period of volatility, this shakeout? You know, they were pulled in by the memes, but that led to greater participation in the stock market. So do they now move on to the fundamental fundamentals? And could that be a good thing? I mean, yesterday I was just looking at the forum and one of the top posts was a chart of the ARK ETF versus Berkshire Hathaway. I don't think you could imagine seeing that last year. So one of the most enduring trades of the past two years has been buying on every small dip in the market. And I think some people over the past few weeks have grown concerned. Is that going to go away? Is that fading? Is that removing one source of key support for the market? And I think yesterday was really telling when the Nasdaq was down 4.9%. Everyone decided, hey, I'm going to smash that buy button right now. And we saw that incredible rebound in Tesla, NVIDIA, ARC. Um, so I think that's the key question. Do they stick to that trade how how are they positioning in this environment? Gunjan, but do you think, though, on, on that same vein, I know that there's, you know, a participation in the market that can be loud on these forums, and we did see that huge reversal yesterday, but do you think that there is a sector that is sort of maturing a little bit and looking at fundamentals? I go back to the chart that's on the screen right now, Berkshire versus ARK, your classic value versus growth, and the fact that this crowd is looking at that, do they eventually go into value? It seems like actually in, in recent weeks, they have turned to those value sectors and, and bought you know, some of the energy financials names and that's helped those sectors. Investors I was speaking to for this Reddit piece recently, it didn't seem like they were you know, giving up on stocks because of the volatility. It seemed like they were sticking around. Uh, meanwhile, guys, uh, selling continues here. We are holding 4309 on the S&P, but the Nasdaq, I think, now eyeing about a 3% drop. Again, uh, low on the S&P yesterday was 4222. Gunjan, pretty interesting mix, I would argue, last night of those looking to argue whether or not yesterday was a tactical bottom or not. Fundstrad said that they believed it was because the VIX got close to 40. That two-year auction was a bit of a catalyst. But others, like Stiefel, uh, called it a head fake and said that unless you get big U-turns in the Fed, at least acknowledging the damage they would do by hiking rates and certainly by, uh, by quantitative tightening, that it's unlikely we're going to be out of this pain for a while. Yeah, I mean, I've been speaking to investors who have said the same thing. We're not out of the woods yet, and it's because of this meeting tomorrow. You know, I think a lot of investors have kind of thrown in the towel and said, we think the Fed put is done. We're not even counting on the Fed to kind of come to the rescue sometimes. And, you know, other people have said, you know, maybe they will be slightly more dovish in their question and answer session. Maybe they will hint at something that could give us a little bit of a reprieve here. So it certainly seems like we are not out of the woods, and we're going to see that more volatility until after the Fed. Gunjan, it's interesting, um, you know, the, the NASDAQ is down more than 3% at the moment, as we have learned this week uh, with this market. It can change minute to minute. But I'm looking at uh, some tech stocks that are particularly affected. Once again, we got Shopify that is down about 9.5%. Big Commerce down nearly 9%. Affirm down almost 9%. Uh, DoorDash is down uh, a bit more than 8%. All those have commerce uh, from one angle or another in common. Uh, and it, it was interesting to me that uh, a number of these, Sh Shopify, for example, hadn't gone back to its pre-pandemic level quite yet, uh, while we'd seen some other uh, stocks in other areas do that. Peloton, for example, um, we, we had seen Zoom also find those levels. So uh, I wonder, you know, when we see stocks behaving this way, particularly within the NASDAQ, the, the movement is a lot more mild in the Dow and the S&P. Um, how does that factor in perhaps to the reporting that you've been doing on options and the risk that a number of retail investors in particular have been taking on? It certainly seems like a lot of those retail favorites have taken a big hit. And you know, people are trying to figure out what does the world look like six months from now and a year from now, and they've fled those kind of stay-at-home trades. Netflix is a big example of that. Peloton, as you pointed out, maybe some of those commerce names. So I think the tricky thing right now is that 
earnings haven't really been a reprieve for us. You know, there was a Morgan Stanley analysis that showed that companies that beat earnings expectations were falling around half a percentage point, while companies that were missing were falling much more than that. So that makes this whole environment much riskier and much more challenging at the moment. Gunjan, appreciate that. Uh, as we see energy, really the only sector in the green today, helping to keep some prices elevated. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you. And as we see tech sell off, Taiwan Semi going the other way, reaching new heights, becoming Asia's most valuable company by market cap, surpassing 600 billion U.S. dollars. It leapfrogs Tencent to take the top spot, and it has consistently held off the tech giant since December 15th. Tech Check returns right after this. Welcome back. Software names are continuing to fall in this broader market sell-off. The IGV is down more than 3%, down more than 16% to start 2022. Our next guest is here to talk. Valuation swings hitting the sector, the underlying fundamentals. Joining us now, Okta CEO and co-founder Todd McKinnon. Todd, good morning. Um, you know, Okta being a younger company is uh, the very kind that uh, investors are messing with quite a bit in this environment. Let's see. Last quarter, I believe you guys said total revenue grew 61 percent, subscription revenue 63 percent, generated 33 million in free cash flow. How's the business underlying? Um, what are you hearing from customers in this environment? Is it as volatile? as the market. Hey, John, and thanks for having me back on Tech Check. It's great to be here. We're, customers are ha having a tremendous amount of success and they're faced with a bunch of really important pressures. One is that they have to get the most out of their employees and they have to engage employees and in, a, in a tough time for a lot of people, they have to give them the best tools. And they also have to move their businesses online. They have to have a great login experience for their customers. They have to build great products that, that get delivered uh, online or on a mobile app. And that's what it takes to be competitive in their industry. And they know that if they, they do that, they're gonna succeed with their strategies and make their companies super productive. So you're seeing that translated into the success in our business. In fact, we just published our eighth annual Businesses at Work report, which you can check out on our website at www.octa.com. And it shows just this. It shows companies using more and more apps, more and more cloud infrastructure, and having more and more success. Um, Todd, the Octa stock is about the levels where it was in May of 2020, and it had been on an upward swing uh, well before that. So I wonder uh, if you have a view on what the most important metrics are that you're pointing to in your business, and does the move in your stock affect your ability, your strategy in running the business at all, perhaps even when it comes to M&A? Well, I, I think we try not to look at the stock, but we look at the stock and it, it is emotional when it goes up and it goes down. But our orientation is really on the $80 billion total addressable market for identity. It's a massive market uh, split between workforce identity and customer identity. And what we do is we're an independent and neutral identity platform. So we connect our 14,000 and growing very quickly customers to every piece of technology they need to be, whether it's for their employees or for their customers to make them successful. And that's what's gonna drive our success and our growth over the long term into this $80 billion total addressable market. What happens with the stock market day to day, week to week, month to month, doesn't change the fundamentals that there's more and more technologies that co companies need to use to further their business strategy. And we can help connect them to all of those in a neutral and independent way, which is what customers want. Hey, Todd, it's Deirdre. Good morning and good to see you. There's this idea right now of bubble versus balloon in the market and investors are trying to figure out which high growth names need to just deflate a little bit or a lot. What would you point to in terms of Okta's business and perhaps across the sector to show that the fundamentals are, in fact, intact and also this idea that some of the tech giants like Microsoft could infringe on those fundamentals? Well, it's a really interesting question, and I'll go back to this report we released today, our businesses at work, our businesses at work report. There's some really interesting things in here. You talk, you hear a lot about Microsoft and Microsoft's success in the cloud. Well, if you look across our 14,000 customers, of all the customers that use Office 365, 45% of them also use Zoom. 
33% of them also use Slack. In fact, Slack usage in terms of users and customers is growing year over year after quite aggressively after the Salesforce acquisition. And Google Workspaces is, is using about 38% of the customers. So all of these companies, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Google, whether it's Slack, whether it's Zoom, whether it's Salesforce, have tremendous opportunity to deliver great new technology to, to customers. And you're seeing that bear out in the empirical data. So if you think about the long-term tech transitioning the economy, every company having to give their workers great tools and technology, these companies are great long-term bets. Um, Todd, small M&A can be an important part uh, of a, an earlier stage, even public companies' growth. And uh, you know, I, I think stock prices can even play a part in the recruiting process. So what can you tell me about how this overall market has either uh, shifted the way you're able to approach or are approaching private companies uh, for conversations and even perhaps the opportunity that uh, potential Octor hires see in the stock? Well, it's a really insightful question, John. The way we think about it is, M&A is driven by what the customers need. What, what is the right solution for the customers trying to solve their technology cha challenges in an independent, neutral way? When we Last year, when we joined forces with Auth0 to really bolster our business and customer identity access management, that's what drove it. Customers want this independent and neutral identity platform across both workforce and customer identity. And the same is true for every deal we look at. In terms of, on the other side, how, how companies think, how, how employees think about compensation, it's something that's interesting is that for, for, for in, the, in high tech, it seems like salaries and, and, stop, and compensation is always going up, no matter what the market's doing. I've been working in this industry for about 20 plus years now, and I don't ever remember a time when tech compensation was down. So with technology, uh, the future of so many industries and so many industry, industries being transformed by it, compensation is, is always aggressive for tech talent and, and the best companies have to pay up for it. All right, uh, Todd, thank you for the insight. Todd McKinnon of Okta. GM this morning unveiling a new $7 billion EV investment. That story's coming up next. NASDAQ down 2.6% right now. It was down as much as 3%. And earlier we talked about ARC, the flagship fund, down 4% this morning. But how about one winner in the recent market sell-off? And that is SARK, S-A-R-K, Tuttle Capital's ETF shorting Kathy Wood's ARC Innovation Fund. The short ARC ETF has soared 60% since its inception in early November. Talk about timing. So it's no surprise the ETF is off to a good start since the ARC fund has been just pummeled lately. Some of ARC's top holdings, Tesla, Zoom, Teladoc, Roku, and Coinbase, all leading the declines over the last three months. Those names lower by more than 40% in that time frame. Tesla, though, has held up remarkably well. It has lost roughly 10%. Carl? Uh, meantime, guys, we are just shy of that 3% uh, down session low on the NASDAQ and the 2%, 2.8% session low on the S&P. Meantime, we've talked about the theme of a corporate CapEx boom this year. And sure enough, GM unveils a new $7 billion <coughs> investment as part of its push into EVs. Our own Phil LeBeau has more on that. Hi, Phil. Hey, Carl, there was a time when an announcement like this would send GM shares higher. Not today, not in this market. Here's the announcement the company just made within the last hour in Michigan. It's $6.5 billion strictly dedicated to EVs, another half billion going into uh, modifying and helping a couple other plants there. 4,000 jobs will be added. A third Ultium battery plant will be built. They're going to convert their Orion, Michigan final assembly plant so they can build the Silverado EV and the Sierra EV. And GM GM realizes it has to move faster as it tries to catch up in the EV race. Take a look at the EV market share in the United States last year. Well, this is the EV sales forecast. Um, safe to say, GM fourth in the U.S. in terms of market share. But when we talked to the president of General Motors, he made it clear today they realize they have to move quick in terms of ramping up production. We continually monitor consumer acceptance and adoption and consideration for EVs. And it's gone nothing but upward, uh, as you indicated. And so, you know, it's coming and it's coming fast. And we're, we're going to hit the sweet spot of this as we add this capacity here. 
And again, GM shares not really doing anything on this news today. It is down with the rest of the market. We will get GM's fourth quarter results next week. That's also when we'll hear from uh, Chairman and CEO Mary Barra. Speaking of EVs, tomorrow the big report after the bell. It is when Tesla will report its fourth quarter results. And the focus will be on not just what the company says in terms of profitability in the fourth quarter, but the product roadmap that Elon Musk may discuss or is expected to discuss during the company's conference call after the earnings come out. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks so much. Our Phil Lebeau. And finally, the volatility in fintech stocks and crypto has at least one prominent startup founder glad his company is still private. I spoke with Klarna co-founder and CEO Sebastian Siemitkowski yesterday in a Fort Knox one-on-one. He told me he's glad not to have the distraction. Some people ask me, like, when, am I, when are we going to IPO at the end of last year? And I said, well, you know, I think we're getting closer to it than we have been, but I will also suggest that I was slightly nervous about the velocity that I was seeing in the markets and the ups and downs. And now I feel slightly more confirmed in my in my worry. Um, but I do think also to some degree, like, I mean, we are one of few fintechs that have not embraced uh, Bitcoin and supported it. And I think if I look, you know, at some companies like Square or PayPal, it seems now that suddenly due to their massive exposure to Bitcoin, there's some correlation between the price of Bitcoin and their stock. And I think that may be challenging for them. In, in a firm's case, I feel more that hopefully if I look at the kind of app downloads numbers that some investment banks have been presenting and so forth, I think maybe, maybe there is a conclusion that Klarna's massive rise as as the leader into this market from a market share perspective is you know you know maybe affecting the the view on some of our competitors but because but but again like i still still judge a lot of this as noise and it still is one of the things that makes me nervous about listing is that you know if i see what's happened in the market just in the last few days i can imagine the amount of people that working at these companies who now sit obsessed watching the nasdaq update every minute as opposed to really thinking about building long-term great products for their customers. Similar to the perspective from Todd McKinnon, Carl. Uh, we've talked about the space all along and some of the risks that are just now coming to light. We'll find out more in the days to come. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.